Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Now, today, I've got a really special treat for you because I'm going to be talking with Chris Auer. Chris is a registered nurse and a lactation consultant, and to say that she has worked in the world of mother-baby care for 40 years is an understatement. She has worked, she has volunteered, she has in every way interacted with breastfeeding mothers. She has listened attentively to the stories that mothers have told, and also I'm sure she has listened well to the people that she has worked with as well. Chris has a very interesting book. It is called Under One Sky, Intimate Encounters with Moms and Babies, by a breastfeeding consultant and nurse. And I think that what you will see, both in the book as well as in Chris's interview today, is that she really conveys her insights into ways that parenting is deeply influenced by both the uh, the conscious and the unconscious cues as related to the mother and the family's history, culture, and so much more. Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, Marie. Thanks for having me. Well, I just have to tell all of our listeners, every once in a while, I think that I've done it all, seen it all, but uh, I think uh, Chris makes me look like I've been on vacation here because Chris has been in more than 77 countries. It was apparently 77 when she started writing the book, and so it's 77 and counting. What are you up to now, Chris? 83, and when you say in the countries, I'm talking about in the patient rooms with mothers ah, from those countries. Got it. All, okay, I, all in Cincinnati. Oh, um, oh, well, I did not catch that part. I thought that you were literally a globetrotter. No. Um, okay, I was thinking of Dr. Miriam LeBac, who the late, right. great Dr. Miriam LeBac, whom I'm sure you remember, and she told me one time she had been in 52 countries. So all I was thinking was, holy mackerel, we've got another Miriam here. But I guess you have been in the countries in the sense of in their room. But honestly, that's so powerful because they bring you a big, big flavor of their own culture, for sure. So, Chris, I... I can't say that I have read your entire book. It is, let me see here. It is about, uh, it's more than 370 pages, but I read a lot of it. And there were a lot of things that I really resonated with, things where I'm like, oh, yes. Uh, I even got a charge out of the guy that was the neonatologist in his boxers. I thought, oh, got to read this one. Um, (laughs) That was quite the the incident, yes. Oh, yes. I was thinking, oh, Chris, I can tap that one, but we won't go there today. (laughs) We won't go there on the air. Uh, But there were so many things that uh, really, really struck me as something that I really understood, that I related to, that I've been through or been through something similar. Uh, You talked about some things where you felt 
conflicted. You talked about things, and, and this was good. I liked the one where you said that you usually did not give somebody your cell phone number. And I could feel myself cheering in the background. I'm like, right, because then they have access to you. That gets pretty dangerous uh, 24 hours a day, you know. But but anyway, there were a lot of things that I thought were just so interesting. But my question is, we are all here to support one another as as women, as mothers, as educators, as whatever we are. But how can, we, in my case as a radio show host, I want you to know, speaking of countries, this radio show airs in 65 different countries. So uh, in some ways, we're all different, but in other ways, we are all the same. So my question would be, how can we create a welcoming space in our environment, whether it's the hospital or the Leche League meetings or the libraries or whatever it is? How can we really make people, make mothers feel at home in that safe environment in the context of breastfeeding? I think that's a great question, Marie, because mothers come in often very tentative. Uh, not yeah. just the mothers from other countries, but first-time mothers, mothers mm. uh, who have the issues with opiate addiction, uh, who feel afraid of being judged. Um, yes. You, you know, teen mothers. Yes. You know, mothers that live more on the edges of society. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, the book wasn't originally titled Under One Sky. It, it, it it came to have that title based on the chorus of a song that was sung that just melted my heart at my granddaughter's preschool for Grandparents' Day. Ah, and and okay. it is on the first page of the book in acknowledgments that uh, song, the excerpt by Chris Barton, Under One Sky, There's a Baby's Cry, Under One Sky, A Mother's Lullaby, Under One Sky, We Are All a Part of Everything. So... Mm-hmm. Finding our place of unity, and I think that begins by being a listening presence mm, with mm. each other. It's so easy to um, impose our, for example, as a nurse or as a breastfeeding consultant, you, you have this knowledge base and you you have a short amount of time to explain, if, especially if a mom has no experience, you know, what to expect, how to get a baby latched on, et cetera, et cetera. But there is more to becoming a mom than than that latch. And there's more to the mother than than breastfeeding. And there's more to her, there's her personhood. And there's her identity. And there's her history and her story. And sometimes it only takes a moment to reach out and touch someone to begin mm. that journey and, and be a mirror to reflect her her goodness and her story and and to receive her. Ooh, to receive her. I like that. And I guess I would also say, as the years have gone by and the stays have gotten much shorter, I found myself feeling more and more pressured to talk as fast as I could, to get in as much information as I could in a short period of time. And it was often difficult to keep track of the idea that listening was really probably more useful. And I know that now, 
you know, I teach a comprehensive lactation course to people who are preparing to be an IBCLC. And we when we get to the listening part, some of them are like, yeah, 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 I can talk, I can listen, I do that all day long. And then I give them a few little exercises where they have to do that reflective listening, which you've just alluded to. And when we get through with it, I usually say to them, was it a little harder than what you originally thought? And they all kind of say, yeah. And it's it's exactly what you're talking about right now, that you're really reflecting back to them and helping them to know where they are at and helping to accept them where they are at. And I got to tell you, it's a it's an art. I used to think that I was good at listening. Now I question myself because it's it really is good uh, hard and tell me this chris in your work with mothers you have clearly been with many many different cultures and many different backgrounds so can you help us to understand uh in that work what what has this taught you about yourself or about your role well um loaded I think question i, I know yes yes <laughs> I think I have learned over time and and I hope that I the stories are a combination of uh, that they include my mistakes and my self doubt mm-hmm. uh, because I live with those um, sure we all do moment, my moments of I could have done more um, oh yeah and uh, and of course, those those realizations of of uh, listening when I didn't listen, what is helpful for parents, what is not helpful for parents, how to include fathers more. Mm, yes, that, that is um, has become more and more important to me. How to help the mom name her uh, web of support, so to speak. That yes, take a village. I'm not sure it took a village in the past or in certain cultures where the mother is honored and uh, protected and surrounded by extended family and grandma and relatives. But it does seem to now, especially in our mobile society here in the U.S. Yeah, you know, I was thinking when you were talking about the story where the father did not want the mother to breastfeed. And by the way, Listeners, we've got a whole show coming up on this, so listen to Chris and then listen to my guest in a few weeks because we're going to tackle this. But in your book, Chris, you said that you offered him a couple of possibilities for why he was objecting to her breastfeeding, and he didn't really say. And Mm -hmm. then finally you said... Because I'm thinking, oh, Chris, I've lived this one. I hate this situation. You know, you you kind of want to get it out there, but it's really hard. But I thought that you were really wise in saying to the father, well, sometimes a third person has to decide. And, of course, I'm sure that what's going through the dad's mind is he's thinking, oh, Chris, our is going to tell me what, what my family is going to do. But, no, you said it's really up to the baby. And I thought that was such a great approach. And so, in your opinion... Uh, you never really gave really the end of the story there, but and you might not have known the end of the story. But did you kind of get the feeling that somehow the couple worked this out for themselves? No, 
I didn't no, know the sure. end of the story. No. He, uh, I asked him if he would mind if I showed her positioning because right. it was the end of the day when she was asking and she was uh, two days out uh, before she voiced that she really wanted to breastfeed. So she had been bottle feeding up to then and had bottle fed 30 minutes before. And I learned that she had wanted to breastfeed her first two children and he had voiced his uh, opposition, yeah. yes. And and so he did say yes to showing her, because I said, the baby will not be interested in feeding now. I would only be showing her positioning. Um, but when I went to show her the positioning, he did walk out of the room, and she began yeah. to cry. Yeah, and yeah. So, and that was a Saturday, and so I wasn't going to be back the next day. Uh, and I had no idea, and... And, and often, you know, of course, even with uh, successful breastfeeders and parents who are both on board, I don't always know what happens in the end. Sure. Uh, sure. Although I will say we do have uh, phone follow-up now with moms, uh, usually about a week out to check in on them. Yeah, and you know, it's so hard because as professionals, we always want to know where did this go? And sometimes we, we're we just never going to know. It's just the way it is. Hey, everybody, do not go away. I will be right back with Chris Auer right after the short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. Welcome back. I'm here today with Chris Auer. And Chris and I are talking about uh, her book as well as the whole idea of culture and motherhood. And before I go on, I'd just like to say that for any of you who are in the greater uh, Dover, Delaware area this summer, I will be speaking in Dover, Delaware at their conference for World Breastfeeding Week. I would invite you to come. You know as many details about that as I do right at the moment, other than it's August 2nd, and I will be there. We haven't firmed up the details, but put that on your calendar, save the date, and uh, hopefully I'll get to meet my listeners. I would be delighted to do that. So, Chris, uh, I, I want to talk about this. Mothers, or really any of us, I suppose, are very shaped consciously or unconsciously by our personal history, um, what what in your history may have influenced you to gravitate towards these mothers that are from very diverse cultures? Because, you know, honestly, some people really avoid that. They feel really uncomfortable. But you really marched right towards it. What got you to do that? Uh, I did reflect on that before I started writing the book, well before that. And I hadn't really thought consciously about it for a long time. But when I was young, I uh, very young, my mom was a working mom. Most of my f- young friends, the young families we were around, they had stay-at-home mothers. Mm. And my mother needed childcare, and she put an, saw an advertisement in the paper first for a woman who needed wanted to go to beauty school in Akron, Ohio, and needed someone, someplace to stay. So first she stayed with us. So I had a, an experience of community, um, someone I didn't know living with us. And after that, mom hired an African-American woman from our neighborhood, a teenager. And uh, she babysat our, the three of siblings. My brother was older. He didn't need babysitting. And I was kind of chosen by her, and we uh, we really hit it off. And to be chosen by someone, you know, when you're four, five, six, that meant something. I think it meant a great mm-hmm. thing. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. So I think I tended to gravitate toward people of color, you know, maybe something that was in my hard wiring. And then I we moved, and we moved next to, across the street from my grandparents, and um, a couple times a year, my mom, my grandma had a um, Hungarian woman that came and cleaned. And um, she 
told me once that when I hung out a lot and she told me that she was a gypsy and she and uh, she would never read my cards, but uh, <laughs> you know, you know just like learning about it was just in, enticing and uh, you know I conjured memories or ideas of something very novel and and then there was a gentleman who was um, Mexican and it was not his first language English and um, my dad chatted with him a lot and he was welcomed around the family just like anyone else and again that just gravitated me toward people who didn't speak English as a first language and mm-hmm. at this point now of course I do most of my Spanish uh, con- my my Hispanic consults in Spanish my French uh, I can I can get by depending on um, how detailed it is although I will say yesterday I saw a couple from Morocco and I began uh, in in French and they said oh oh yes we took French in in, in high school, we hated it. We speak, <laughs> we speak Arabic. <laughs> well, yeah. and you know, that brings me to another great question, which is so often we have false assumptions about exactly. a particular culture. You know, all Hungarians do this, and all Czechs do that, and oh. all of the Polish do the other thing. And in fact, it's really not quite that simple, uh, certainly not within that culture. And sometimes there's a culturation. Yes, everybody else in the family does this, but this particular person is actually trying to get away from it. So um, how do you think that blocks us from really supporting one another in motherhood or uh, in breastfeeding or both? Well, first, I think we have to own our assumptions. And mm-hmm. and they're so yeah. subtle within us that, that they have to have a way to come to light for us to recognize those aha moments where we realize that we've made some assumptions or have our biases we all have biases of course of course Um, of course and uh and then to see how they play out in our relationships and and how they might interfere um for example when we my boss asked uh, early on in the 90s she asked me to uh, do a to an assessment of um, what percentage of our moms were exclusively breastfeeding. And she said, don't include the Hispanics. They all supplement. Whoa. And I knew that I disagreed and I decided I would still do them separate. And I discovered that they were supplementing a little less than our non-Hispanic population. Uh Uh And so that was important for her to see. And I was glad I did it because otherwise... If you, as a staff person, assume that the mother just planned to do it, then you treat her differently. You don't educate. Maybe she's, oh, for example, I saw a mom from Guatemala the other day. And uh, she had just had a C-section the day before, and she did not look well. And she had nursed all night. But in the morning, uh, the, someone had given a small amount of formula and I asked her what happened. She said, I felt so dizzy, I thought I would drop the baby. And oh, I dear. said, I said, you made a good oh. decision. You know, it's, um, yes. you know, yes. it's not so black and white. It wasn't just like, you know, all Hispanic supplements. Yeah, and you know, even, 
even within a culture, sometimes I find that we're prejudiced about what teenagers might do or what older mothers might do or, or whatever. And uh, I know in my own family, uh, certainly uh, my parents were both Italian, but that didn't mean that they agreed with one another on all of these kinds of issues. So I think we can get into some real trouble when we make assumptions. Chris, this book is is fairly thick. Can you give some examples in the book where you basically said, don't assume what the culture is going to do? Do those come to your mind? Well, um, I'm looking at the Japanese Japanese grandmother. uh, Yeah, go ahead. Uh Yeah, there, there are several. Um, and, and first, I, I, I somewhat feel that I have to apologize. When I first, when the book was in preparation to be published, they suggested I drop 100 pages. And that was difficult. <laughs> and, I, and I dropped 70. And, oh. um, and when I first saw the book, I thought of the words from the movie Amadeus when the, when the king said, uh, well, how did you like my music? And, the, and Amadeus said, too many notes. <laughs> and I did, I did think, oh, too many words. But um, again, it was just I I love my patients, and I love I love these mothers, and I love their stories. So the Japanese grandma, the baby the baby was in the newborn intensive care, and the mother was pumping, and and I and it got to the point where it was close to when the baby could directly breastfeed, and I asked the mother how her pumping was going I think she was making a couple ounces breast Uh, but I noticed the chart the baby was getting formula and I asked her and she said that she had the milk was at home oh sometimes you get busy you forget and and I said you could start you know we we could start breastfeeding and some mothers are afraid when the babies are small and we tried we tried to breastfeed before we introduced any bottles at our hospital and uh, I came in a couple days later and saw that the baby was still getting formula. And uh, when I approached her, she began and asked, she be- I said, you know, it's okay if you've changed your mind. Um, you know, can, can I help? And, and she began to cry. And she said, I'm still pumping, but I'm discarding my milk. Oh, it was yeah. in the first about eight days because my mother is here from Japan. And she said that while the milk is yellow, it's not good for the baby. And I yeah. have to throw it away. Throw it away. And and yeah. she was uh, educated. She was a pharmacist. And I tried to explain the benefits of colostrum and why it was golden, you know, from beta carotene. And uh, she said, but she's staying with me for six months. Right. I, I can't go against her, her wishes. Right. And that's where culture and science you know, butt heads, I guess. And well, Chris, I, we've all been through that. We don't want to displease our mother. Of course. Of yeah. course. And she said, I will work on breastfeeding when I get home. Now, I've done studies that looked at the, in the NICU at the benefits of starting direct breastfeeding before you begin bottles. And I found that the babies who were breastfeeding before bottle feeding were about four times as likely to be breastfeeding. Absolutely. Absolutely. A discharge. I totally so I agree. knew that, yeah. that the science wasn't going to be for her, but if she was persistent, perhaps it would work. It did not in that case. But 
she was a faithful pumper, and so the baby got her milk, and and Grandma was happy, and so there. Oh, yeah. But sometimes it's just so difficult to walk around those rather odd things because you knew what was best. It sounds like the mother knew what was best, but was very reluctant to displease her own mother. And but I can tell you that in my, in my household, if we daughters had ever come home and said that we were going to bottle feed, we would have been excommunicated from mm. the family. I mean, my mother just, there's no way, that would have been just, would have been horrible and there are just certain things that you just know you're not supposed to do in your mother's presence and I find it interesting that uh, she said no my mother's here for what three months or six months or whatever and what she was really saying was uh, I've really got to be careful how I conduct myself here uh, oh man it's really it's it, it's tough. It really is. Hey, everybody, don't go away. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with Chris Auer. We will be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues, anxious, parenting challenges, no more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with uh, Chris Auer, and we are talking about some cultural aspects and also her clinical experience of how she's basically what I would call been present to these mothers and to really to have met them where they're at. and I want to talk a little bit about adversity. Now, I'm flipping through the book, but for the life of me, I can't find the quote that Chris gave. And it was somebody else's quote, but I, I really like this. The quote was, we are uh, all made by the work we do, the relationships we have, and how we face adversities. So I would say, Chris, Almost all of us have experienced some adversity in life, uh, some more dramatic, some less dramatic. Uh, some of us are more resilient, some are are less. Uh, so tell me, how how do you relate this to your role and what you have seen in breastfeeding uh, and how listening and healing and uniting is all part of the story? Well, The quote, first of all, is from a story about military wives, special forces. Oh, right. Gotcha. From the warrior's heart, but he is actually quoting Viktor Frankl, Mm. which is page 345, if you want to. Oh, yes, I do. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Um, Oh, yeah, I see it now. Yeah, got it. mm -hmm. Um, Well, I am just, I am humbled in and inspired and just amazed at the resilience of women to go through what some of them have gone through and come out the other side intact. And yes. And and I'm, uh, for example, and this is a combination of adversity and false assumptions. Uh, I I had a woman who. When I went in to see her, she said, uh, I've been asking for you. Um, she was a, uh, she had a very high BMI, okay, so she was uh, very overweight. And and she had a little, I think it was maybe a six-year-old, they're coloring at the bedside. And so I assumed if she was asking for me, she must have had a preemie because, you know, a mother that only had me for a day or two, probably wouldn't remember me. Oh, so right. Mm-hmm. She was pumping, and I knew that she had come from the intensive care. So she had had a traumatic event after this birth. And I thought to myself, oh, she's probably not going to make much milk. And so when she said my name, I said, oh, did you pump for another child? And she said, this one. And I asked how long, and... She said, well, first I asked, how much did he weigh when he was born? And he was under two pounds. Oh, brother. I said, oh, how long did you pump? And she said, well, I pumped for three months, but I had enough milk for five. 
And that said to me, my assumption about making small amounts of milk, just because you happen to be overweight, which I qualify for too. um, (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) Yeah. And, um, you know, here she's, you know, made it through that event. And, and, and here she is herself having now gone through a traumatic event. Um, and that was surrounding birth. Okay? But other women, like this military wife, uh, you know, this is someone who had, in special forces has deployed several times and been gone many times. And you don't know where your husband is. And you're going through a lot. And... And you're having latch issues, and this happened to be a tongue-tie situation. And you, again, need your web of support. And um, she made it through with her first baby uh, with her tongue-tie situation, and she bounced back. And and the fact that she even wanted to try breastfeeding the second time when she had trouble figuring out what was happening the first time when she was in Tennessee, now she's in North Carolina, you know, I admire these women. And, and of course, there's bigger situations, like the mom from uh, Congo, who I was on the interpreter line, and she was asking for formula. So I tried to get to the bottom of their, their own experience first. And so I said, did you breastfeed your other children? And she laughed, and the interpreter's laughing on the phone. And she said, of course. And I said, how long? And she had to think about it, and I'm asking her to guess, and, and she said about two or two and a half years. It's hard to remember because I was in a uh, refugee camp for oh, a, a few of them, and of course, yeah. you know, it's not mine to get into that conversation, but as she runs through the ages, I realize there were a couple in refugee camps, and and there she, you know, there were seven altogether, and, you know, I I'm trying to explain. Breastfeeding is going fine. And and I said, um, so, you know, the baby's gaining, the wet and dirty, or the baby's weight is okay, the wet and dirty diaper count is okay. You know, your nipples aren't sore. Can I ask, um, what prompts you to ask for formula? And she said, because it's available. Oh, so, oh yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. I explained. Uh, so, you know, uh, we kind of went through that, and, and she said, oh, you know, through the interpreter, she said, oh, I understand. And so she continued to just breastfeed. But, you know, she had been through a lot, and she she has made it to the other side. And, you know, of course, welcome to America. Oh, yes. But uh, as you said that, I was thinking about a show that I did with Dr. Carlene Gribble a few uh, weeks ago. I will admit I lose track of the time here, but uh, she talked about exactly what you and your patient are expressing. And that is, I used the formula because it was available. And Chris, you and I have both lived long enough to know that when there's free food for adults, what do we do? We eat it. We we have it. It's hard to walk away from it. And in those emergency situations, and certainly what this woman is describing is uh, one type of emergency situation. She's saying, so I'm doing this because the food, the, the formula is available. So... Chris, what did you do with that? Did you try to persuade her or did you just kind of let her know it's her choice and kind of move on? Well, of course, it's always her choice. But I did tell her, you know, what happens if you start using it now and 
how it could affect her supply and that we will keep good track of the baby's um, weights and wets and poops and and yeah. and she understood and and uh, she was fine with continuing with just breastfeeding. Uh, okay. she, she mentioned oh I asked if she was going back to work because some people ask because of that with the thought that they think that they have to start it that early, uh, a bottle that early when it's right. a, to wait to three, three, four weeks before you're starting. Um, but of course, you know, there's many important um, medical reasons to start supplementation. So I certainly don't hesitate with that. And then there are some moms who, who have not been able to get their babies to take a bottle even when they start. Oh, yes. Three to it's four true. Weeks. And it's so they true. come in with their second baby and say, I know it's better to wait, but I'm, I'm just not comfortable with that. And so I'm going to do both. So they nurse and they top it off. And, you know, I respect where they're coming from. The respect part. I want to pick up on that, Chris, because I will tell you where I really struggle. I struggle, bet- where, where is the line between giving mothers information and like foisting your opinion onto them. And I say this because I don't feel like it's my place to tell her what to do. It's my place to give her information. But when she has misinformation, but that misinformation is part of her culture, you know, I kind of stand there falling over myself because I don't really know, I don't know where that line is. And I guess that I probably find it in different places for different situations. But do you have any guiding light for me or anybody like me? When do you feel like well, you're stepping on somebody's culture? Um, I usually ask a mom when I first see her, if she's from another country, how did you feed your, let's say this is her second baby, no, where was your first baby feature. born? Yep. First, where okay. was your first baby born? So let's say her first baby was born in Honduras. Uh, was the baby born in the hospital or at home? Yep. Did you o- only breastfeed in the first three or four days or did you use um, formula and the breast? And then that helps inform me because if they were doing, let's say they delivered in the hospital and they were doing both, that has happened um, with some moms from Nepal that I've cared mm-hmm. for. They were doing both mm-hmm. even there. That informs my how I approach the discussion um, and then we go from there I, I will say the doctors recommend you only uh, provide breast milk right now because they look at your milk like an immunization it's small in amount but it's packed with immunities it will help more milk come faster but you have to feel comfortable with that here's the size yeah. of the baby's stomach yeah yeah, I think it, it kind of sounds like you go about where I go, which is I try to let them lead. I try to figure out where what their perception is. Uh, I don't always think it's up to me to know everybody's culture and everybody's values, sure. but I think it is up to me to not step on their cultural beliefs and values or not to insult them or make them feel like they're a lesser person because they've made a choice that 
isn't necessarily my choice. And, you know, I have to remind myself very often that there are very few people that have made all of the choices that I merely think I would make under the same circumstances. I, I'm not in their shoes. You know, I really I really don't know. Everybody, do not go away. Uh, Chris Auer and I will be right back after this short break. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash donor. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. 
Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with uh, Chris Auer, and she has just talked a little bit about all of these cultural issues that she has encountered, uh, how she's dealt with them. And it seems to me that one of the things that she says in the book really resonated with me. And it's on page 316. Uh, she says, Ron and I have several important values in common. We believe in being mindful of a spiritual journey on a daily basis. I loved that because I think that it's really important that all of us are mindful of a spiritual journey on a daily basis. We all have these encounters with with mothers, with other professionals, with the guy who comes to do our plumbing, whatever it is, we have those encounters. And so one of the things that I want to ask Chris here is, how do you help mothers to, in fact, come to their own wisdom? Because this is one of the things that I guess I learned more in labor and delivery. You know, when the woman says she needs to push, I don't have to justify that in my own head. I just have to believe that she knows and she's telling me. Uh, it's the same thing with breastfeeding. But to talk to us, uh, how do you help a mom to come to her own wisdom and to maybe articulate that, and then how do you work with her in that situation? So I think it's it's all about being accepting, making sure that she knows mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you are reaching out and touching her where she is, that you that you can go with the flow and that that you're getting into her flow, that, yeah. that she doesn't have to get into your flow, mm-hmm. um, and that you're willing to let go of your vision of what's best or accepting what is doable for her. Um, so, you know, your, your breastfeeding statistics at the hospital may not uh, reflect the ideal, but... You will have served your patient. You will have served the parent. You will have served the family. And I think that's more important. Chris, we talk a lot about empowering mothers. Uh, Is this part of what we're discussing here? How do you communicate to the woman that she really, I mean, I just sometimes just flat out tell people, it's your baby and and you are the best judge of what you and your baby need. Do you have a different soundbite for that? Well, with a first-time mom, when she says, I don't think my baby's getting enough. Oh, yeah. She doesn't like me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have to look at all the data, you know, because um, she, or, you know, my breasts don't feel any different. I don't have any milk. You know, the mother said that to me this past week. I said, you know, I felt the same way when I had my first baby. I thought, and I was a maternity nurse. No, I wasn't. No, I was a pediatric nurse uh, at that point. I thought that your breasts would be different right away. But it, it, it happens gradually, and they don't usually feel heavy until day three. And she was like, son of a gun. Um, and so you have to have informed choice. That trust yourself has to be somewhat coupled with information, that informed choice. Um, but... You, 
you also have to, even when she is trusting her gut and her gut is saying this thing of, I don't think he's getting enough, um, and you may think he is, her anxiety level isn't, isn't supporting the long-term goal of breastfeeding. So sometimes you have to um, hand express or you have to get out the pump or you have to uh, do a little supplementing or do something that you wouldn't need to do to a mom who felt more self-confident. Yeah. Because self-confidence, yeah. Uh, you know, breastfeeding is partly a confidence um, Game. Yeah, yeah. Derek Jelliff said that in 1971. And boy, no truer words were ever, ever spoken. I have often said if I could give moms a confidence pill, I, I wouldn't have a job because uh, confidence yeah. is so much what they need. And I remember one time saying to other nurses, we can't just bestow confidence upon a mother. It, it, it's not that easy. And yeah. I remember there was another nurse who spoke up and she said, Marie, you're right. It's not easy to give confidence, but it's very easy to take confidence away. Oh, so true. Oh, so true. And I just thought, oh man, that it, it, it really helped me to be more mindful of the words that came out of my mouth because I never mean to be offensive or belittling or any of that junk, but I can imagine where some, I could have some words fall out of my mouth that might in fact take away somebody's confidence. And so after that, I kind of monitored myself more closely, if you know what I mean. So Chris, talk to me about this. It seems to me, and I notice this when I give my, uh, any of my lactation courses, really, for people who are prepping to be an IBCLC or people who are uh, have already been an IBCLC and they're reviewing, it seems to me that for some women, somehow breastfeeding was a life-changing event. And I don't know if that is, I know it doesn't happen to all mothers, but I know that it happens to some mothers. What do you think? Well, I will relate the story my sister-in-law related to me recently over dinner. <laughs> okay. Said, when my first was born, I breastfed the baby. When the twins came, I realized the babies breastfed. I didn't. I lost uh-huh. control. And they were the ones in control. And so both yeah, breastfeeding yeah. and parenting in general, there is a surrender uh, mm, uh, giving yourself yeah. over to the other. Yes, yes, yes. And breastfeeding so, is one part of that with parenthood. Um, one of many where you give yourself for the sake of love. Uh, I love that because that is so true. It is, at, at least in my world, it feels like if there was ever a complete giving of oneself... It is literally part of you that you are are giving to your baby. And I think that really has such transformational power. Wow. Uh, you know what? This hour always goes much, much, much too fast. And now would be a good time to say thank you, all of our listeners. Uh, I hope, hope you're having a really good day and feel really good about your motherhood. I hope that you are honored, and I hope that you feel totally exhilarated as we come up to Mother's Day. 
And uh, here in the United States, Mother's Day is a big deal. I know that we are in other countries as well. But in fact, really wanting to honor mothers for all that they do and all that they have given and all that they have been uh, to their babies and especially to their breastfed babies. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. I would like to invite all of you to come back. And meanwhile, I would just like to thank Chris Auer. Chris, thank you so much. Uh, Thank you so much for being on the show today. My pleasure. Thank you, Marie. All righty. And just remember, for those of you who are listening, in the, I will see you next week. But in the meanwhile, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby.